Hey guys, it's Katie Thomas on the Filterless Podcast. I hope everybody's having a good day because today's episode is going to be going over what some of the aspects of American Christianity is, how it's impacting, how Christians are able to be bold in their faith. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians and Acts to kind of figure out what Christians should do today in order to be a bolder Christian, to live for God, and sort through some of the lies that fake Christianity in the United States does and how it impacts our faith. So you're listening to the Filterless Podcast. Stay tuned for more. Like I said, welcome to the podcast today, guys. Like I said, we're going to be going over 1 Corinthians, and I don't know about you, but when I think of the Church of Corinth, I've heard a lot of comparisons made to Corinth being a lot like the United States. So with that being said, you look around the United States and you truly see that it's a wreck. Uh, You have all kinds of different people living all kinds of pseudo-Christian lives or non-Christian lives, but... It's almost, for me at least personally, especially living in the Bible Belt, very hard to narrow down who is actually a lover of Christ and who isn't. I remember this past Sunday, we had a guest speaker at my church, Mark Driscoll, and he pointed out that when you think of rebellion, you think of the state of California. And if you're from California, I'm sorry, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. But you think of the state of California, and when you think of religiosity, you think of the South. And this really hit hard because there are there is a spectrum of like are you rebellious in your sin or are you the rule follower in your sin? And in the United States, we have a mixture of both. And a lot of people who think that either way, they're worshiping God, they're being moral and whatever. In fact, there's somebody I know in my life who, when they were talking about their some of their problems that they had in sin, they said what really churches need to do is put aside some of these issues that he was dealing with and really just get back to what church is about. And his definition was looking to God for spirituality and morality, when in reality, that's not what Christianity is about. I think because a lot of the political pressures of today and a lot of the prejudices against true conservative Christians, and not conservative in the political sense, but conservative and the traditional values of the Bible and the views. Those beliefs are unpopular. They're told to be quiet. They're suppressed. And because of that, we don't have bold Christians anymore. And I know I've hit on this. I used to hit on this when this podcast's name was Being Bold MCR, the idea that we should be bold messengers, conquerors, and revivalists, which is a theme that I still very much enjoy talking about. But we lack that. And I want to talk more I've already done a podcast on this scripture, but I want to dive again into what Acts has to say and specifically what 1 Corinthians has to say about being firm. Now, when I've looked at 1 Corinthians, like I have probably mentioned in the past, there have been comparisons made from Corinth to the United States uh, and what our culture is like in America. And that comparison is not only really sad, but I think it's pretty accurate And so I hope that today you're encouraged by this message and some thoughts that I have on scripture to share with you guys today. So first and foremost, we're going to be first reading out of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, just from the beginning. So it says, Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother 
And I'm not gonna lie, guys, I'm from the Midwest, and some of these names are hard to read. So if I butcher this, you know, just say it right in your mind. Uh, soft beans, sauce beans. Yeah, we're gonna go with that. But verse two says, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace be to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's good news. Paul's writing this letter and he's like, grace and peace be to you for those of you who are in Lord Jesus Christ. So we go to verse four and it says, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So that is 1 Corinthians verse 1 to 9. This is a powerful piece of scripture to me. And there's a few reasons why. And the first being that when we look at Paul, you know, everything that Paul you know, has gone through and went through in his life, being bold for Christ, professing the faith in its very early church stages. You know, he was somebody who once persecuted Christians in the same way that like he was, he's passionate about Christ during the, the rest of his life after what had happened on the road. In the first half of his life, he was passionate about killing Christians and making sure that people follow the Jewish law. This was what he felt he was called to until his encounter with Christ. So that type of passion is the type of passion he's writing from. It's, it's this passion that is just deep from within him. And this is somebody who, like I said, lived a life that persecuted Christians and had a 180. Why is this important? Because he switched roles. This is somebody who reflected the passion of what it meant to persecute Christians early on in his life. That was what people did, was they, unless they were a Christian, they despised the ideas. A lot of times they supported the Jewish law. They didn't think Jesus had come yet, or the Romans didn't like them. And the passion that Paul had, and he had that 180, is the passion that many people still have, and was why Paul was persecuted later in his life. There are places in the world where that is still a passion that drives people to persecute Christians to the point of death. Um, we don't have that passion, I don't think, here in the United States as much. Definitely not as much as other countries in the world. But there's almost this intellectual passion that I've noticed in society that is against Christians. There's an intellectual passion to destroy the Christian argument because people are, they think more in terms of, well, we're going to be superior, we're going to be more moral, we're going to make the rules, we're going to make morality subjective. And that is the goal of a lot of Americans. That's why you have a lot of Americans who twist scripture to try and make it what they want it to be, when in reality they probably either A, haven't read the Bible, or they've only cherry-picked what matters to them and forgotten the rest, as if the Bible isn't cohesive and inerrant, when Christians who follow the Bible understand that the way that the Bible weaves together is not only important, but it is beautiful, and it tells the story of Jesus Christ. 
Even when you look to the Old Testament, you see that man couldn't do it, kings couldn't do it, judges couldn't do it, but the Lord Jesus Christ could when he came and was reported on in the New Testament. That is the story of Christianity. And what do people like to do? With the same passion that many people persecute Christians physically and try to kill them, they try to destroy Christians intellectually. But what does Paul say? Paul says in verse 5, For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God that's confirming our testimony about Christ among you. So Paul is saying that when we know Christ, he has given us this knowledge, this insight. Not that we know everything, but this insight to what his character is, how we live our lives. Like we're no longer lost. There's this aspect of us that changes because we are born again in Christ. And to know of Christ and to know different aspects about salvation and our testimonies is something that is very hard to explain to others besides you just, the Lord died for you and you know the general evangelism. Like when I became a Christian, I was very young and I followed Christ because you know, I'd grown up a Christian, but throughout high school, I had gone through a lot of problems and I came to the end of myself and learned about grace and a whole new life that I had never really experienced before. And once I knew what grace was and really understood what it meant for Christ to die, that knowledge was very valuable. And speaking about it was very valuable. So when he says, for him, you've been enriched in every way. Knowing Christ, Christ gives you the tools you need, spiritually, if you will, in order to go out and make disciples, that great commission. So, you know, as a Christian, I've been enriched to know what that love, what that grace feels like. Not because I deserve it or not because God is just using me for no reason, but because there is a mission that Christ has that people will be saved through him. And when we accept and follow and become servants of God because we love him and he loves us, he gives us that ability and that enriching, that enrichment rather, to go out and make disciples, that knowledge, which is important in an era where intellectualism um, just for the sake of being subjective and right, trumps morality and what is objectively right because it's God's universal moral law. And that's where I think Christians need to remember that they're not just arguing with a book that has no meaning. They're arguing with a book that has miraculously survived through many eras we can still translate back to some of the original transcripts and one of the most viable books we have from the, you know, when Jesus, um, his disciples wrote them. With that being said, what does Paul say? He says, therefore, you do not like any spiritual gifts as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed, which is great. But then what does he say? He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Although the scripture has meaning in the sense of staying firm in what is righteous and having that desire to do what is good rather than what is bad, because you know what is good and what is righteous and what you are supposed to do, Something else that stuck out to me when I was reading over this scripture is the idea that he will keep you firm to the end. He'll keep you strong to the end. He's given you the knowledge. He's given you the kinds of speech. He's given you the gifts, and he's going to keep you firm to the end. So if that is what Paul is writing to 
Corinth about when it comes to Christians? Why are Christians today backing down from the fight, compromising on issues, or simply trying to avoid conflict because they're too afraid somebody's either going to no longer be their friend, block them on Instagram, make a tweet, do all these things? Why can't Christians stay firm? At least in Western culture. Because in other cultures, there are Christians willing to lay down their lives for the gospel because they have nothing else that they know is worth living for. To them, and rightfully so, there is nothing else out there more precious than the love of God and the Great Commission. Why can't we stay firm if we're given the tools to? I think the simple answer is fear. And that can divert into many different areas. It can be a fear of your reputation changing. It can be a fear of physical harm. It can be a fear of bullying. It can be a fear of rejection. There's a lot of areas that could go down. For me, I grew up in a home where you simply just were bold for your faith. I grew up in Christian apologetics being something that was centered in my household. So being the sassy, loud person I am, I didn't really have that problem but eventually, as I began to share the gospel, I began to think more and more, will I actually ever, you know, make friends who agree with me? Will I ever actually be able to build relationships? So I know what the struggle is, but I think that Americans um, and Western culture Christians often think to themselves, you know, there are maybe not even consciously that there are other things worth prioritizing more than genuinely showing and demonstrating that you love the Lord. And that's a mistake. It doesn't mean that you have the right to go around being like, oh, this person is going to hell, oh, this person is going to hell, willy-nilly. But rather that if somebody says, are you a Christian, what do you think, and maybe it's on a specific issue, that you can go back to your faith, you can go back to the Bible, and give an answer. And, you know, somebody might say, well, what if I don't know much on that topic? You can be honest and be like, I don't know, but I'd be willing to look into it and learn and have an open mind in the sense of you will go back to your faith to see where your faith reflects that. Or if it's a testimony issue, look to what Peter said in 1 Peter 3.15, where he said, be ready to answer questions. Be ready to give an account for your faith. Why do you believe in Christ Jesus? Because that's what Paul and the disciples did. It's possible that they answered all the nitty-gritty questions. But their biggest reason was, I walked with Jesus. I know what he did for our sins. People get so caught up in the idea that I have to answer the nitty-gritty questions. Like an example that's a hot topic issue is, how do Christians respond to homosexuality? How do Christians respond to immigration? How do Christians respond to abortion? And yes, we can address those conversations and we can look back to the Bible. We can think of compassionate answers. But the disciples, they were like, I walk with Jesus. So why aren't we being firm and telling of why we walk with Jesus? Why we have our faith. And when there are questions we can't answer or things that shake our faith, you know, it's one of those deals where you simply go back to the foundation. You go back to the word. People are scared to do that. I know because I've encountered people who have explicitly said that they're scared to do that. 
But when we look to Acts, I think that Acts really shows what we should be doing. Peter and John, they're traveling. And it says in Acts chapter 4, verse 23, On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So a synopsis of what had happened. So essentially, what had happened to Peter and John was they were told to stop preaching. And they simply gave the attestment to their faith. And they said, and it says in verse 19, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? And they essentially kind of had the standoff. But anyway, they say to their fellowship, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up, and the rulers band together against the Lord, and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Think of the threats. I know the threats were different for Peter and John, obviously. A little bit different when Jesus had you know, just went up to the heavens and left the disciples for the Great Commission, and people didn't like Christianity. But when the gospel is Americanized and viewed as just a stereotypical thing that everybody just has some small connection to, people don't have the boldness because either they're afraid or they're not servants. This is one of the things that divides people. Are you a servant or are you scared and need boldness? Are you considering threats or are you living through them and living with them and still pursuing Christ? It says, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. There's two things that, besides that that I want to point out. Is that it's not like you simply just have to go through this life walking day by day, not thinking that you can't be filled with the boldness to speak out these things. If you're a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, you put your faith and your heart with him. It's okay to be scared, but it's not okay to back down. They say, stretch out your hand and heal the perform signs and wonders to the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. When you meet with the Lord Jesus, he keeps you firm because you're a servant, and you speak out words with great boldness. But the second thing I want to point out of the scripture is that when, with, when you're with God's people, and you pray, God strengthens you and fills you with that boldness. This may seem like a cliche thing to talk about, and maybe it is. But let me give you a little personal testimony. When you feel alone and like no one is on your side, and you're trying to live the life that Christ has called you to live, but you have no support, it can be very difficult. God will give you what you need. If you are truly like isolated and alone, God will give you what you need, the strength you need. 
But there is something to be said about the strength of fellowship with other Christians, supporting each other as iron sharpens iron. Going through life together, walking with the Lord, praying together. Because when the people did this in Acts, they all, all of a sudden had this fire for God that they hadn't had before. They were able to speak without being shaken. What are, what are people in America doing with their fellowship time? At my church, most people don't do this that I know of. It's a pretty big church. But at my church, we worship, we pray. We really put a focus on what is it the Lord is doing. But at the church I went to before the church I'm at currently, the priority was, oh, worship's plan, let's finish up our conversation, finish up our donut holes and those little plastic cups that everybody knows that the church is by for little breakfast snacks. Oh, how's that, how's that play with that one game? Oh, did you see what ESPN posted? Oh, oh, we got that grill for that life group. The, those other families are coming over. They're kind of strange. These are the kinds of conversations that happen. Because churches in the United States, not all of them, but some of them, they turn into social clubhouse-type places, sanctuaries for a social life and upholding your perfect reputation. We wonder partially why Americans can't be bold Christians, at least all the self-proclaiming Christians. Part of it is because some of those self-proclaiming Christians either aren't servants, they're scared, and part of them being scared might be that they're plugged into a fellowship that isn't supporting them, isn't giving them that foundation and walking through life with them in a way that is also serving the Lord. For instance, when I was at this church, I would say things that weren't against the Bible. They had some validity to them. I'll give you an example. Maybe this, this only happened in seventh grade. In seventh grade, I made a comment that Beyonce was satanic. There, if you study satanic symbology, it's kind of obvious. That's a whole nother podcast I could post. That's a whole other topic. But I said it in seventh grade in context to a conversation. The small group leaders who were in college, they accused me of looking at gossip websites. And remember, this was in context to a biblical conversation. And they told me if I were to disrespect Beyonce again, which was something they liked, I would be kicked out of the small group. What I did was I got up and I walked out. Later on, I had an argument with that same youth leader about evolution. And she believed that the Bible supported it. I didn't believe the Bible supported it. And it got to the point where she's like, do you even have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? And because of the environment I was in, I wasn't growing spiritually to be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not that my faith wasn't there, not that I didn't know what the Bible said, but I didn't have the support around me to be a bold Christian. I didn't have the people around me to say, yeah, you should speak out about this. Yeah, you should pay attention to that. Yeah, the Lord is calling you to do this. You should follow that. Instead, what I was told was, oh, so so-and-so did this at the high school, or so-and-so just came to church on drugs, and we're going to call her parents so she can take them home. Stuff like that happens when you Americanize the gospel, and the majority of Americans assume that they're Christian just because they go to the social setting called church. 
when you give your heart to Christ. When 1 Corinthians says that he makes you firm, he gives you the knowledge, he gives you the tools, he gives you the toolbox to be a bold Christian for him because he has a plan for you to go out and make disciples. But when we look to John and Peter, after they professed the faith and were like, we're still going to profess the faith, we need boldness. They went to the fellowship because they were servants. There are many tests to see what the fruits of a Christian are. Not that any of us can look at a Christian and immediately be like, oh, your soul, your soul, and make the final decision. But there are certain things that's the marker of somebody who's speaking out for what is right. Are you worried about your reputation? Because if you're prioritizing that, you're not acting as a servant of the Lord. Because you can't have two masters. Your reputation can't be a master as well as Christ. You can't have a boyfriend or a girlfriend who doesn't love the Lord. and you're, Or maybe they do, and you're making them a priority over serving the Lord. There are multiple instances of people saying they're living a life, but not actually living that life. And when they do that, it's not like there's no hope for them. It does make it hard for Christians to be bold, but it's all the more reason that we need to take the knowledge we have. I want to go back to what I said about intellectualism. Intellectualism is one of the biggest threats to Christianity in the United States because people believe in subjective morality. But what what would happen if people had their faith, were bold about being servants for the Lord, followed what the Lord wanted them to do? If they got in a fellowship that surrounded them with prayer and with the strength of the Lord? And what if people became bold because they asked the Lord for that boldness? I know that the intellectualism or the intellectual attack on Christians to some degree, would be less effective because we'd have more Christians who stood in faith instead of hearing some theory they'd never heard about, it sounding good, and abandoning the goodness of God because they simply aren't bold enough to stand up for it or have something that they're not willing to look more into. To me, the biggest threat to Christians today and the United States is not anything the world has to offer. It's Christians who aren't bold enough to point out that the churchian Americanized gospel is not Christianity and stand up for what is right. False Christianity is something that I think not only hurts us spiritually, but it hurts evangelism very much so. And as much as it breaks my heart, it's time for Christians to take up the gifts that God gave us, the knowledge, the enrichment, the knowing of how much grace he has given us, to get in corporate worship and fellowship, come together and ask the Lord for revival, to be a messenger, to be a broken vessel. It is time for Christians to put aside their priorities that are not that of the Lord and that are that of the world and say, you know what? My reputation, if it's anything that glorifies God, That's the most I would ever want in life. Yeah, this boyfriend or girlfriend, I like them. Maybe I even love them, but I don't love them as much as I love the father who sent his son down to die for me. Yeah, this club, I'm really good at it. I'm successful. 
But what successes are going to stick around when all burns and returns to ash? When we're in the glory of God one day. These are the things that Christians aren't asking because they don't care. Not all of them, but churchians rather. But it's time that us who are servants of the Lord began not backing down. Began not being afraid because we see the churchians are just okay being silent. Not letting those external factors impact us. But really look to making an impact in the world like the original disciples and apostles did. To look at the religious people of the day and say, we're going to attest to our faith. No matter how much you say it's wrong, we know in our hearts it's right. No matter how much society says you're bigoted, that you're sexist or whatever label they want to put on it, you say, you can put those labels on me, but I know the love of God and I know the love of God is not like that. These are the things that we need to be doing as Christians. So before I end this episode, I want to go back to 1 Corinthians. He says, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. God's going to confirm our testimonies. There is knowledge all around. There is revelation all around. We see God in the little and the big things. There's no reason to be afraid. Because God lets faith rise in our hearts to believe in him. The Holy Spirit touches people in a way that we can't. But when God entrusts these gifts to us, we should not waste them. Rather invest them because when somebody comes to know the Lord, it is somebody who is saved from the eternal damnation that the just and glory, wrath of God includes. It's not, if we prioritize ourselves being quiet because we care about our reputations, we end up risking the eternal lives of somebody who needs to hear the truth and love and name of Jesus Christ. So for Christians who are fearful today, put aside the false priorities and pick up the only one that gives your life meaning. And for those of you who find yourselves realizing that you're not a bold servant because You've never known what it is to love the Lord Jesus. I encourage you to ask him into your heart. Rededicate your priorities and pick up the cross and follow him. Thank you all for listening. I hope that was an encouraging message today. Tune in for our next episode. Thank you guys. I hope you guys, and I know this is my old sign off for my old podcast name, but everybody continue being bold messengers, conquerors, and revivalists for Christ. God bless.